Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. My name is Jeffrey Zakarian, and you're listening to Four Courses with Jeffrey Zakarian from iHeartRadio. In Four Courses, I'll be taking you along for the ride while I talk with the top talent of our time. In each conversation, I focus on four different areas for my guest's life and career. And during those four courses, I'm going to dig deep and uncover new insights and inspirations that we can all use to fuel ourselves to push forward. My guest for this episode is a wonderful and curious podcast host. She developed her own successful vineyard in Napa Valley. She's the most successful woman in the history of indie car racing, and she might even love fitness and nutrition more than I do. Without further delay, please enjoy my insightful conversation with the very special Danica Patrick. Danica, thank you so much for doing this for me. I know your day is busy. Oh, no problem. I'm happy to do it for you. No problem. Are you in LA? Where are you? I'm in Scottsdale. In Scottsdale? Yeah. Love Scottsdale. Do you play golf? Not really. But when I do play, I play horribly. I would think that you would be an incredibly good golfer because you have no one else but yourself to mess up. I mean, I I think that because of that reason, uh, there's a high level of accountability (laughs) And blame I place on myself. So it's hard for me to shut that off. So I say that what I do is I play golf for smiley faces. And by that, I just mean that on the scorecard, I don't put a score. I just put whether or not I had a good (laughs) attitude on the hole. And that way I, you know, if I have to pick my ball up to smile, then I just pick my ball up. For our first course, Danica tells me about her childhood background from working as a barista at her family's coffee shop in Wisconsin to moving to England as a teenager to pursue her racing career. 
So it's really nice down here. But you grew up in, is it Beloit? Is that the way you say it? Beloit, yeah. Beloit, Wisconsin. Okay, what's your favorite cheese? What's your favorite Wisconsin cheddar? I don't eat cheese anymore, but of course I have. I have had cheese plenty of times in my life. I would say that I really love goat cheese. Wow. Yeah, I love goat cheese. My favorite. Goat cheese. So Wisconsin cheddar was not on your radar. There's like 800 kinds. Yeah, I mean, they don't make that, but I, I don't, I'm sure they make it somewhere. But if I were to pick a more Wisconsin-based cheese, I'd probably say like a five-year-age cheddar. Now we're getting somewhere. Five-year-age cheddar. Very nice. I love the ages on cheddars. I think it makes the cheddar so much better. That's not a rhyme. So your parents like were sort of in the hospitality business in a way, right? They had a coffee shop or should I say a Java hut. How many did they have? Did they have one or was it a franchise? No, they just had one. Like my mom just truly loves coffee so much. So your dad just said, I'm going to buy you a Java hut? I guess. Keep her busy. Keep mom happy. (laughs) You know, happy wife, happy life. I worked there for a little bit. Mm -hmm. You had to make the froth yourself and everything. It's all about that high quality, like small bubble, thick, peaky foam, baby. They would come in and they'd be like, can I get a vanilla cappuccino? And I was like, sure. And if I was feeling really, you know, frisky, that's what I would say. I'd make them their vanilla cappuccino and they'd get it and they'd pick it up and they'd be like, oh, why is this so light? I'm like, well, you ordered a cappuccino, which is mostly foam. Did you want a latte? And they're like, yeah. And I just knew that they wanted like gas station vanilla cappuccino, like when you push oh the my button. God. <laughs> I can be such a dick. how long did you work there i worked there for a couple of years i'm sure like i feel like it was probably around like 2001 ish your dad bought that but is that was his passion or that was like something just for mom they're just very entrepreneurial so i guess it was kind of for mom but also it's just you know a a potential money maker (laughs) Well, it's really good money. If you sell, I don't know what Java Hut charges. There's a lot of them actually outside New York, but like if you charge two bucks for a cup of coffee, I think it costs 12 cents for six ounces, something like that. But it's a very, very good profit margin. That's why Starbucks does so well. Huh, they sure do. And then your dad, he was in the glass business. Yeah. What kind of glass? Explain glass. He was a, a glazer, so he put in like, commercial windows, so nothing over like three stories, but he'd put in like storefronts and stuff like that. When we were really young, he worked for a company called, I think it was Cardinal Glass. Oh, I know Cardinal Glass. That's a big company. Oh, really? Oh, it's huge. It's huge. It makes all those thick glasses, like almost, li- not Libby, but like that kind of glass. It's a huge, it's a gigantic company. Mm. So he worked there for a while and then he quit and started his own glass company and started in the garage. And then it went from there. And so, you know, it got him to a point where he was able to, you know, help pay for my racing career to get going. Wow. So I was reading where you and your sister were sort of racing go-karts and things like that, but then your sister went a different path. Is there a reason why she went in a different path or was it because you were so much better and so much more driven or she just didn't care and you you were like out of your mind in love with racing? She didn't like getting bumped around. I know that she was like, she was getting driven over and like literally driven over. Yeah, she just didn't like that. She didn't like that roughness of it. But then there, there I was on the other side of things like taking people out and, you know, 
<laughs> so I was totally <laughs> fine with it, but she just didn't like it. She's got a little bit more of a mama side to her. So she has three kids now. She went into, she got her PhD in physical therapy. So she, and she works wow. in pediatrics. So tell me why England is a place that trains formula style racing. How, why England? Why not like Arizona? Racing's just really popular in Europe and England. You know, like F1's really big over there and they can drive all year long pretty much too because it doesn't really snow over there. So that's part of it. But really, I guess it ends up boiling down to when I was 14, I went to the Indy 500 and I went to this suite of this, you know, wealthy guy. And in the suite was a guy who was British. And I sat at the bar drinking my kitty cocktail and asking lots of questions about racing. And I guess I asked all the right ones. I remember he said I could learn more in England in one year than five years in America. Like, I just remember that. And I was like, wow. So anyway, fast forward two years to when I'm 16 years old. And this family, the guy that I spoke to that was British, worked with this family that owned the suite. And they said, we've been following your career for the last couple of years. And we'd really like to sit down and talk to you. And so my dad and I almost didn't go to this meeting because we lived in northern Illinois. They wanted us to come down to Indianapolis. It was during May, during the Indy 500 month. And we almost didn't go. And we decided to go. And it was like one of those crappy, rainy days. And anyway, I always ended up doing the right thing. So we went down, had this meeting, and they said, we want to take you to England. That was May of that year. And then by that fall, like that winter, I went to England for a month or two. I did a race out there, like a winter series race, they called it. Anyway, that led to moving back there again at the very beginning of the year for the full season. So how old were you? 16. You must, was that lonely? I mean, what was that like? So I really didn't go past June. I, I didn't really even barely go to junior year. Yeah, I was there for the first month, gone for two months, and then back for the last month before winter break. And then after winter break, I never went back. I got my GED. <laughs> I actually graduated before my fa my friends did because I took my GED, which I failed the first time. <laughs> oh my goodness, don't tell anyone that. Well, you just did. I did. And it was, I failed in the Constitution, the Constitution test. Oh, yeah, I don't get it. It's all a bunch of the same words. It's true. Probably why I still don't pay attention to that stuff. So I had to take it again to pass the constitution test, which I think I barely passed. I only had to get half right in the first place, and I didn't get that right the first time. And I'm pretty sure I just slithered on through the second time. But uh, yeah, I mean, I went over there when I was 16 years old. And wow. I lived with a couple of girls, and I, l I slept on the couch like underneath stairs, you know, sort of that whole sort of like struggling artist, but I was a race car driver. For our second course, I had to ask Danica all about what it takes to become a top performer in her field of racing. So what kind of work is it to learn how to drive a car at that speed? I mean, what's the homework? Is there like, okay, here's the practical. You're going to go out here and spend six hours doing hair point turns, but when you're home, you need to know aerodynamics. You need to know engine, I don't know, whatever. I don't either. No, you say engine, whatever. I'm like, I don't know whatever it know. is either. <laughs> so what it is, how do you practice? I mean, it sounds like a stupid question, but how do you practice driving at that level? I mean, you go out to a track and you just make laps. You know, it's so expensive compared to so many other sports. You need tires and fuel and engines and cars and then... And who's paying for all this? 
I mean, this family that met with me, they paid for a lot of it. My parents paid for a little bit. I mean, they paid for my living, which, you know, they paid for a little bit of the racing at the end because, you know, I got in some trouble. And so the the management people, the family didn't want to help me anymore. So you got in some trouble. I did. Yeah. The word had gotten out that I was out too much and partying and having too much fun. You know, was I out and having fun at 17, 18 years old? Yeah. Was I having more fun than anyone else? No. Was I having less fun than everyone else? Probably. But it didn't matter. This is the whole thing about not giving anyone a reason. Like no matter what phase of your life or no matter what it is that you're doing is not giving anyone a reason. And, you know, there was a reason. So, you know, whether or not it was like how they truly felt and if they didn't want, they didn't want to be a part, like they believed that and didn't want to be a part of it, or if they just look, were looking for an exit, either way. Well, that you must, you must have done extraordinary for them. I mean, they saw something in you. What do you think it was? I mean, was it your raw talent or you're just like so ambitious and so driven, no pun intended? I did really well in go-karting especially. And you know, and I'm a girl. So, you know, when you're doing really well and then you're also unique, that's pretty cool for someone who's looking for something unique to be a part of. So the family was loved, loved racing and was into racing, so. Yeah, so what, what car did you, when you first got there, they say, okay, this is your, you're gonna start driving X and then you're gonna graduate. Do you, you know, it's like a horse, you start small and then you get up to thoroughbreds. How do they teach you how to do that? And what did you start with? So I started with go-karts and then from there I went to formula cars, but the formula cars that I drove were without wings. The wings push you into the ground aerodynamically. So I did that for a couple of years. And then after that, you would go into winged cars. And then at that point, when I got into that level of driving, I was back in the States by that point. And then I came back to the States and I did a couple different kinds of cars over here. And then I went to IndyCar. So formula, what does that mean when you say formula? Good question. I guess it just implies open wheel. Open wheel just literally means that the wheels are exposed and open. And a stock car has like, it looks like a sedan. It looks like closed. You can't see the tires. Is that cooler or is it, is it harder to drive a formula car than a stock car or? Of course it's cooler, but they look so much different. Look, it's probably a little harder to drive an open wheel car because the potentiality of an open wheel car is so high because they have downforce. So it's beyond your sort of fathomability of what it can do. And also the faster you go, the more the wings are working to some degree. So I'd say it's probably indie cars are harder. They also didn't have power steering. Now I'd say like racing a stock car, me, I mean, there's, there's parts about stock car racing that are harder than an indie car, but I'd say just driving wise, indie cars harder. Who is the, I mean, I have like four chefs that I look up to who are like your gods. Like these are my three gods that I copy every move or I want to copy every move or I wish I could copy every move or I just want that. I always wanted to be, I would say I want to be the first me, not the next somebody else. So I didn't have anyone that I wanted to be like really or like role model or an idol. I mean, one of them, funny story, I really thought that Jacques Villeneuve was a, like a really great driver. He raced Indy cars, did really well. It's like second his first year and won the next year at the Indy 500. And then he went to F1 and won an F1. And I just thought, wow, that's so cool that someone can do that. And so he really was the only one that I kind of used as a benchmark of being like someone I thought was really amazing. So fast forward to 2012 
and I'm racing in the step right below cup cars, stock cars. So we were racing in Road America in Wisconsin, and there's probably, I think there was one on the last lap, and I'm running fourth, and he's fifth, and he come down this really long straightaway to a hard braking zone downhill, and he just punts me off the track and crashes me. And so, anyway, I, I finished the race, and obviously I lost a lot of positions, And but he, he looks like the bad guy, right? Like, everybody afterwards is like, what a dick, you know? I can't believe he'd do that. How, you know, he totally took you out. And I thought, how cool is it actually, if I could create any scenario, to look good, like look like the cool, good, responsible, respectful, good driver compared to the only person that I ever really looked up to. The next time that we raced against each other was in Montreal. And in Montreal, we qualified inevitably right next to each other. And you have to do a ride around on the track mm -hmm. to wave to the fans before you start the race. And we have to ride on this truck together and like wave to the fans. Not much was said. What are you most proud of as far as your 13-year career? Tell me, like, I know there's many moments, but you're saying to yourself, I made a difference and this is what I'm most proud of and this is how I want to be thought of. I mean, I think the statistic that I feel most proud of is of the small amount of drivers that have led both the Indy 500 and the Daytona 500. I think maybe it's, it's under 15. And I like that because it's also a genderless sort of title. That's that's really cool. And of course, having won an IndyCar was awesome. I really wanted to win a NASCAR, but but didn't. And so that that as far as an accomplishment goes, feels like the best. But but then from a more broad sweeping overall perspective, I'd say it's showing people that you can do anything from the last couple of years of my career into the things that I transitioned into. It was all about how do I, you know, inspire, like I have this platform, I want to use it as long as I can, or, mm -hmm. or I really just felt like I have a responsibility to use it. And then when I retired, all of my businesses are rooted in, in somehow inspiring people to whether it's be healthier or, you know, how to be happier, how to be self-reflective, how to be more present. That's kind of the purpose of all of the companies that I have now after racing is to inspire. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? 
Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com iHeart. That's LifeLock.com iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does the hard parts for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billings, scheduling, and more with a home management team that provides support before, during, and after your stay so you can focus on the relaxing, hosting, and making memories with family and friends. And you can resell on Picasso's Marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. With Picasso, you can stop saying someday and start building family traditions today in a vacation home you own and revisit time after time. Visit Picasso.com today to see thousands of luxury vacation home listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com. For our third course, Danica and I talked all things wine. Danica has been developing a vineyard from the ground up in Napa Valley for more than 10 years. The result is Somnium, her delicious and renowned wine brand. You're now a renowned winery owner. You have your own wine. We're going to talk about Somnium and Howell Mountain is one of the greatest wine producing areas in the world. I mean, it's spectacular. So, I mean, of all the things that you went from, you did, why wine? Well, I mean, people ask why I make wine. I'm like, well, I like to drink it. I mean, it's really that simple. But when I went to Napa Valley in 2006 and had this idea to have a winery, it was really just sort of the romance of the environment. It was, Mm -hmm. you know, the people, the stories, And until you really do like a private wine tasting and hear how it goes, you don't understand what goes into that vintage. You don't understand what happened weather-wise, what what had to be done, how like quick on your feet you have to be, whether it be, you know, watering, making changes, how much fruit to drop. Shoot. I mean, of course, then there's the beginning, which is picking the varietals, picking the clones, picking the rootstock, which is not my job. But... Then after that, with the farmers and the winemaker, and 
you know, into what day exactly to pick and looking at the weather and seeing if there's rain coming. Are you going to tough it out and brave it out and get through the next wave of rain to like hopefully let the fruit hang a little longer on the vine before you pick it? Or do you play it safe and get it off? So, I mean, there's just so much that goes into it. And then, of course, there's like the really meticulous process of, of of the making of the wine after that. I mean, you know, I've gone to some wineries where they're like, they're barreling stuff that's come into the winery in separate barrels based on the time that it came in, not even just the block. Like the block is broken down into times because like everything matters. And so, you know, there's so many levels of like fine, you know, being more and more and more detailed and high end with your process that can be done. And so it really makes you value the wine so much more. So one of the things that's really important with winemaking is that there's a story because there's a lot of great wine out there. And even if there isn't great wine, people don't always know the difference. In fact, most people don't know the difference. So what are you going to do to sell your wine that's going to set it apart? And you have to have a story. And I was like, well, that's the easy part. (laughs) Like the easy part is, you know, how much I love wine. And I've traveled lots of wine regions all over the world. I've done wine tastings in South Africa and Australia and New Zealand, obviously the States. And, you know, I, I love taking trips for that. So I've got a few more on the list. Like obviously now that I'm done racing, I want to get to Italy and France because I never wanted to go in the winter and I was always working in the summer. So, but then of course, Argentina and Chile, I have lots of trips still on the docket, but I just truly have a passion for it. I love it. I love the romance of it, of the process and hearing the stories and it's great. What do you grow? What are you growing? Pinot? Are you growing... Cab Franc, what is it? I grow mostly Cabernet, a little bit of Cab Franc, and a little bit of Petit Verdot. Wow. So that those three only, only red. Yep, yep. So I make two different reds on property. One is the full, fully all estate grapes. And then there's another one that we came out with a year and a half ago. It has a red label on it. It's still a cab, but it's the red label Somnium. And that one is... It's still about like 85% estate wine, so it's still very high estate wine, but we purchased Mm -hmm. just a little bit of Merlot to blend into it to make it a little bit softer and more approachable. And that's the first one that we brought in at a lower price point from a red perspective. There's still plans to sort of on special years take the Cab Franc block and make just a barrel out of that and, and make that a really, really higher price point, like exclusive offering. And then we make rosé. So we saigne that. So we bleed off from the Cabernet grapes and make the rosé. And then we have a Sauvignon Blanc. And so we purchase grapes for the Sauvignon Blanc. That just got bottled. I just had some just the other day. It was great. Yeah, it's really good. You know, I, I would love Sauvignon Blanc. I love white. I mean, white's such an e- social, such an easy drink and goes with so much food. And then I also launched a, a French rosé last year. So that one's called Danica Rosé. So it's funny is people think that I've I've like just started making wine. I'm like, no, it's it's been a long time, which is what helped lead into this Danica Rosé project. It's just there's some partners in this and they ended up saying we'd like to name it Danica. And I said, okay. So that's grown and made in Provence, France. So that's really fun. Where do you buy this wine? Do you do online only or is it just local? 
Mostly with Somnium, it's online at somniumwine.com. We have it in a few restaurants and places here and there, but it's honestly, we it's such a high, it's so high end made that, and we make so little that I just don't like taking the hit, to be honest, of like chopping the price of wine in half because yeah. it's so expensive to make per bottle because I don't have economies of scale on my side that it's like you almost make no money when I go wholesale with it. So I like to get it out to people and have it accessible in places. That's nice. I think it's kind of almost a form of advertising, but definitely not smart business. So the the direct-to-consumer side of Somnium is where I want it to reside. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's just people understand that you it's a, it's a sea of red for the first four or five years when you own something. It's just this nothing's producing and it's just... You're just paying bills and burning cash, basically. It's really hard business. It's, it's like restaurants. You just, it's very tough to get to a break even where you feel like, okay, I can afford the people I have around me. I agree. The Danica Rose will be much more distributed. That's going to be much more mass produced and distributed. So that's already, I mean, my friends send me messages and they're like showing me, send me a picture of it in their store, grocery store. So that has a bunch, much bigger reach, but Somnium is much more boutique and small. I'm going to go look for some Danica Rosé the next time I go. It's really good. You know, in Florida, what's great about Florida is they sell booze and food right next to each other. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does the hard parts for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more with a home management team that provides support before, during, and after your stay so you can focus on the relaxing, hosting, and making memories with family and friends. And you can resell on Picasso's marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. With Picasso, you can stop saying someday and start building family traditions today in a vacation home you own and revisit time after time. 
visit Picasso.com today to see thousands of luxury vacation home listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O.com. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. For our fourth and final course, I couldn't let Danica go without talking food and fitness. Danica takes her nutrition very seriously and brings a scientific mindset to finding the perfect diet to fuel herself for top performance. Let's talk fitness. Your book, Pretty Intense, is pretty intense. My executive assistant said, I'm just telling you, I do her workouts and they're insane. (laughs) I'm like, okay, good to know. Let's talk about food. I mean, you're drinking wine, which is food. And you're eating. So tell me your day and how you balance. There's no such word as balance doesn't exist. But tell me like how you like to eat so you feel at least like you're ahead of the game. I've been goofing around a little bit with trying to intermittent fast and I'm just just garbage at it. It's like I can kind of do it here and there, but it's not my not my jam. So I've been trying to learn more about that because I've also read that women and men are different from that perspective. And, you know, sometimes it can have the opposite effect that you desire, which is always to essentially like heal, be healthy, but then also, you know, achieve whatever physiological goals you have and have lean muscle mass. And so I don't know. I don't know. I just don't like being hungry, really. And I never really eat too much at one meal. I try not to. I try and kind of push on the ODing on vegetables, but I eat a paleo diet. In the morning, I'll eat things like I do. I cook ground up bison and I'll do like ground bison, spinach, maybe some tomatoes or avocado. My favorite breakfast is I take sweet potato and I just put it on the cheese grater. And then I take Mm -hmm. that and put it in the pan to make like hash browns. But it's beyond hash browns. It's really just dried up crispy potatoes. And so I just dry the crap out of them. And I love to have my bison and spinach with super dried up sweet potato. And then you got to be patient though. And then avocado. And I take the avocado and I smash it into the super crunchy, crispy uh, sweet potato. And then I eat it and it's crunchy and creamy. That's a dense, sophisticated carbohydrate as well as so you getting the right carbs. So, so did you, t- do you do BMI? You take your BMI and you know, you strictly know what, how many calories or you just, you just go for it. I've tracked before. It takes like a few days of tracking and I'm, I'm totally cool with like the same meals. So you know what the crappiest thing is, is like when you're trying to hit a macro number is it's less than you think. Like, that's really what I try and tell myself when it comes to like eating is I'm like, if I'm trying to like lean out or anything, I'm like, okay, it's less than you think. 
Right. And you got you to leave room for wine because, you know, you need at least 300 calories in there for wine somewhere because you're going to have a glass of wine. That's right. It's a trade-off. I mean, I, those calories go... Sh- but I mean, I eat that for breakfast and then I eat lots of vegetables. I also, another kind of breakfast, I'll do like a tablespoon of chia seeds and I'll put that in a, in a little, little pan with some water and just they'll plump up really quick. And then mm-hmm. I just put a scoop of plant protein with that, mix it up. And I throw in some adaptogens too, cause I like taking adaptogens. And then I maybe top it with some nuts or a little bit of some berries, kind of like oatmeal, but paleo version. I eat lots of vegetables. I eat lots of fish. And I've gotten, I, I've spun around so many times on whether or not the vegan route, the, you know, animal, do we really need it? Is it a crock of crap? You know, like, does your body, do you already get enough of it from plants? And at the end of the day, I have finally landed on that I need it. It makes me feel better. And I do enjoy, I mean, I feel best on higher fat animal protein, but it's really comes down to quality. So I was just saying the other day, I want to find somewhere where I can, I know that I'm getting like the highest quality mm-hmm. animal proteins possible, you know, sustainable and all that's fine. But I think that's kind of built in once you find the highest quality because it's not going to be farmed. And I know there are some farmed fish and things like that that are, you know, still pretty decent. You know, I've even heard there's places that have animals that are like sharpshooter, like they literally are like eating grass and then that's it. Anyway, I, I think the quality and then mm-hmm. also I try and not eat animal fat at like every meal. What you're describing is pretty much grandma living in Italy would feed her, you know, they don't have a lot of money, so they don't have a lot of protein. So you have a lot of vegetables. There would be pasta, but it would be pure. So it wouldn't have all the, the nasty stuff in it. And you would eat fish and things available in season because that's when it would be cheaper. So it sounds like your paleo diet is basically a normal human diet with a lot of common sense, a lot of common sense. And like you have knowledge of food, but it's not like you need to have knowledge to eat a grilled piece of fish. It's like, it's just great. It tastes good and feel better. So I definitely agree with you. When I eat a great piece of fish or like a grass-fed steak, I feel fantastic. And it's fun. And I, I feel like I'm doing something good for myself. Yeah, I've been saying, I'm like, if I had to kill animals to eat them, I'm not sure I could. So I I understand the dichotomy I'm in, but I also know how I feel when I have certain things. So I also don't want to go like build my fridge, but I use that too, right? So, you know, I mean, there's lots of stuff that we have that we wouldn't necessarily know how or be able to do on our own. So some people just, it's just in their wheelhouse. And they're comfortable with with that stuff. So I'll let them do it. And I'll try and choose the best products possible. You know, all the big farming, animal farming with, you know, mass production of... It's not good. It's not good at all. I think we could all still have the ability to consume animal protein in uh, a far more ethical... We could still have plenty to go around without the system being in that way. So... I eat probably the same as you. I'm, I'm not so careful <laughs> as you are. You know, I'm, I'm blessed that it's what I do for a living. So for me to like whip something up is, is very easy. But I, I try to keep uh, as paleo as possible. But let's be real, a, a beautiful, fresh tagliatelle with white truffles once in a while, you know, 400 grams of that at lunch. I try to eat at lunch versus dinner. So I try to like, I don't eat late. I drink half of what I used to drink and I still drink too much. So, I mean, as chefs, you know, we 
we, we don't say no to anything. It's one of the things I tell people every day. The, the most important thing is portion control. If you ate the, just the right amount of portion, you wouldn't have the issues you have. I eat everything in the, under the sun. I just don't eat a lot of it. But I think that that's what the lesson needs to be taught. But I think people are coming around because there's a lot of information now that you can't ignore. And there's a lot of fitness information now you cannot ignore fitness. It's everywhere. It's coming on strong. And I'm very, very hopeful that we're going to be able to be fit and lead lifestyles that make some sense. And it's all about going almost backwards to what, you know, your grandmother and your, your in-laws and your relatives long ago used to eat. They could not eat giant portions because they were not, they couldn't afford sirloin. <laughs> you know, they had, they made do with what they had, but it was also less portions. The portions were like normal portions. Yeah. And your body gets used to it. Just like when you eat a bigger meal than you normally eat and you're like, oh my God, I'm stuffed. When you eat a smaller meal than you're used to, you feel hungry, but you orient to whichever one you tend to do the most. And so I totally agree. It's, you know, you you have to have enough self-respect. And I don't know, I also think this goes into more of an emotional and psychological layer where when you treat yourself well, you also start treating people around you better too, because it's just how you, how you feel about yourself is how you feel about others. And so, you know, it's like a perpetuating problem. You can see it in families when someone you know, a parent, you can see they don't take care of themselves. They also don't take care of the child, you know, like it's medicine. Food is medicine. I truly believe that. And, you know, when you look at how it affects everything from, you know, your cognitive abilities to your energy levels, hormones, blood sugar, all of that stuff. And then overall, just the way you feel, because look, when you eat something that is dense and not nutritious, which by the way, when you're hungry, you kind of want nutrients and you don't really realize it, but you're looking for it. So when you eat something that's not nutrient dense, you have to eat a lot of it because you're not really being satiated. You then also have the spiral effect of now you've ate poorly and you also don't want to do something because you feel bad. It's just awful. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so grateful that you're such a healthy chef. I think that's a, you're setting such a good example that it's possible because I think that also, I mean, there's a lot of chefs out there. And I think that, you know, even if we're just talking about those folks, like you're setting a really good example for them because it would be easy to make the excuse and just say, I'm a chef. Like, what am I supposed to do? But I think you set a really good role. You're a really good role model for how to do it and then also how to take care of yourself outside of the kitchen. Well, thank you for that. I really, I really appreciate that. And I appreciate the time you've given to me today. And I hope you're going to go and have a nice dinner with a glass of wine because you deserve it. You've had a, a very, very nice chat. I really appreciate you spending time with me. I love talking to you. You're you know, like, we're such homies in the like food and fitness sort of world of things. So thank you for, for asking me to come on. I always love talking to you. Thank you so much. Have a great day. All right. You too. All right. Fabulous. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks very much for listening to Four Courses with Jeffrey Zakarian, a production of iHeartRadio and Corner Table Entertainment. Four Courses is created by Jeffrey Zakarian, Margaret Sikarian, Jared Keller, and Tara Halper. Our executive producer is Christopher Haziotis. Four Courses is produced by Jonathan Hawes Dressler. Our research is conducted by Jesslyn Shields. This episode was engineered by Molly Swanson and edited and mixed by Joe Tisdell. Our talent booking is by Pamela Bauer at Dogtown Talent. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, please visit the iHeartRadio app 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo play. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity, designed for women's unique retirement needs, with flexible withdrawals plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. Gainbridge is helping build a better financial future for women. Retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information.